We are turning back to the Gospel of John. We are going to be looking at a scene in the Gospel that I find to be one of the most interesting parts of Jesus' teaching. Um, It contains the first of seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. I am being Jesus' use of the same words that God spoke through the burning bush to Moses when He revealed His name, I am. But then Jesus follows that up with something tangible, something physical that we might be able to see or touch or taste, or at least the people hearing Him immediately could see or touch to help us understand more about who He is and what He is doing here in the kingdom of God. And uh, I want you to listen for it this morning. I want you to see if you can pick it out. We are in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with His disciples, but that His disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, there, nor His disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found Him on the other side of the sea, they said to Him, "'Rabbi, when did you come here?' Jesus answered them, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking Me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him God the Father has set His seal.' Then they said to Him, "'What must we do to be doing the works of God?' Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. So they said to Him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven." For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to Him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen Me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives Me will come to Me, and whoever comes to Me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do My own will, but the will of Him who sent Me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about Him, because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does He now say, I have come down from heaven? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me as I pray for us this morning. Oh God, we come to you this morning once again to hear from you in your word. And we ask that as we listen to these words of Jesus spoken and written so long ago, that they would become alive to us. We ask that you would send your spirit into our hearts to help us see and to feel the depth of our need and to hear the beauty of Jesus' offer to meet that deep need. I pray that we would know that these words contain the words of life, 
and that we would be able to feed on them. Pray that my words would fall to the floor and only your words remain. And I pray this in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. I once heard this story about Napoleon, the French emperor. He had just uh, conquered some town, one of the many conquests that he had, and he was sitting down to a victory feast with his top generals and officials, and they were all reveling in what had just taken place. They were all eating and drinking wine and, and starting to share stories about their bravery, what they had done during the battle, and trying to one-up each other, as men tend to do. And as these stories started to come out, Napoleon began to gift things to these men as they would share. He would give some gold, some of the treasure, maybe a, a new title or a different position in the military. And suddenly, out of nowhere, one of the servants who had been bringing food and wine to these men interrupts, and he asks Napoleon, "'Sir, will you give me this town?' The town that they had just taken from the enemy, and everybody fell silent, waiting for Napoleon to react, to snap. And instead, Napoleon pulled out some papers. He scribbled something on them, signed them, and handed, them, handed the papers to the servant, saying, "'The town is now yours.'" Everyone at the table was astonished. Why would you give this town to a lowly servant? He didn't even fight in the battle. He hasn't done anything heroic. He hasn't served with you any of these years. And Napoleon says, no, but he asked. Now, I honestly can't tell you if that's a true story or not, but it was told to me as a way to demonstrate how important it is to understand the resources available and to ask accordingly. And that's kind of the situation that we find before us this morning. This conversation in the Gospel of John comes on the heels of the miracle that we saw last week where Jesus fed well over 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, and they had 12 baskets of leftovers. That's not something that you easily forget, especially if you are on the receiving end of that food, any of us would be overwhelmed by that personal and miraculous provision. The crowd, they, they want more. And they go, they tell some friends, and they all come together to try and find Jesus, to track Him down. And you cannot fault them for wanting more free food. When they find Jesus, His response shifts the conversation immediately. Jesus is not a vending machine. He doesn't just give them what they want. Instead, He digs a little bit, and He uncovers how little they actually expect of Him. He shows their, their true expectations are somewhat surfacy, that they come to God expecting things that are too shallow, and how quickly they'll go elsewhere if God, Jesus, doesn't give them what they want. And instead of being angry, instead of being dismissive, Jesus actually offers them something far better than they ever could have imagined. They just want bread. They're so focused on what is essentially an appetizer that they don't understand the banquet that Jesus is preparing for them, a feast to which you and I are also invited. And so the question for us this morning is the same question that is at the heart of this conversation. How hungry are you? It's a great question to be asked. How hungry are you? 
Do you want to be fed by Jesus, or do you want to feed on Jesus? Just two points for us this morning, fed by Jesus or feed on Jesus. I just realized I did not put my points in the thing, so you're going to have to remember the first one, fed by Jesus. These people experienced a miracle. No doubt that this food was delicious. They want more bread. They track Jesus down, and they try to pretend like they are asking some other questions. Rabbi, how did you come here? Jesus doesn't even waste time with that. He cuts right to the point. Verse 26, Jesus answered them, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves.'" Jesus quickly diagnoses that they're not there because He worked a miracle, not because they had an encounter with the supernatural. They are only there because of the natural, just the bread. And Jesus knows that the pangs of hunger will lead us to go find the easiest and quickest available source of food. And when Jesus is there doling out bread, they're coming to Him because He is accessible. And if they were to find that He's not going to give them bread, they'll go somewhere else. Jesus knows the pangs of hunger. He knows that it has brought this crowd to Him once again, expecting food. And you and I, we come to Jesus for much the same reason, don't we? Expecting something. In fact, I think it's fair to say that most people come to Jesus for the first time because they want something from Him. Maybe it's because they're sad and they want to be comforted. Maybe it's because there is chaos or restlessness in their life and they want Jesus to bring some peace. Maybe you're lonely and you want Jesus to bring you some connection, some relationship. Maybe you are unhappy and you want Jesus to chase away some of those feelings. And it's not just the first time and, or the second time. But even if you have been a Christian most of your life, often we come to Jesus only when we have something we want Him to do, something we want Him to give us. Now, you might be saying to yourself, is that bad? Is it wrong to come to Jesus out of stress or out of hunger or loneliness? No, it's never wrong to come to Jesus. But if we come only with expectation only with something for Him to do. When we are looking to Him to feed or to fix whatever craving we have, we have reduced Him to nothing more than a means to an end. We don't want Jesus. We simply want the bread that He can give to us, whatever that might be. I remember when the first order of shelter in place went into effect and everything stopped but we couldn't stop at home with two little girls. We had to figure out what life was going to look like. There was no school from home just yet. We were trying to keep our girls entertained and engaged without just putting them in front of a screen. We were trying to figure out what working from home looked like, and it actually shifted the way that we talked. We began to talk more about Jesus, about what He was doing in the world. We read the Bible stories more. We did devotions every night before dinner as a family. And part of it was, oh, hey, we've got this more face time now so we can talk more spiritually with our girls. But there was definitely a part of it which was, there is no way we get out of this alive unless you do something miraculous, Jesus. But over time, 
we settled into some routines. We figured out what school from home looked like alongside working from home. Margaret was able to go back to TK. We realized that doing stuff outside was better for energy consumption and therefore better for bedtime, and we started to just do the same things over and over again, and it was like there was this handoff where I said, I got this from here, Jesus. I was expecting Jesus to meet some needs, and then I figured out how to meet them on my own. And so I kind of didn't feel like I needed Him anymore. And it wasn't overt. There was no prayerful conversation where I said, I got this from here. I just simply pushed Him out a little bit. We expect Jesus to do things for us, and if He doesn't give us what we want or we find it somewhere else, we can just move Him out. That's what this whole conversation about manna and Moses is about. They, uh, the Jews there listening to Jesus know the stories. Moses provided food for their ancestors wandering in the wilderness every morning. They didn't have to do anything other than listen to Moses, and the bread came down from heaven. So when Jesus says those words, bread coming down from heaven, they're like, ding, 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 we know this story. We know how this goes. All we have to do is listen to the one who's going to provide for us, and we get bread. So Jesus, are you going to give us the bread? Because we're listening. If not, we need to go find another person to listen to who will direct us towards the access we need to endless sources of sustenance. Is it you or is it someone else? Because all I'm really concerned about is this thing. When Jesus doesn't bring you the peace that you are looking for in life, where do you turn? Is it to yoga? Is it to smoking weed? to zoning out in front of the TV or in front of your phone? When Jesus doesn't fix your terrible job situation or give you that new position that you want, where do you turn? Working harder? Your own effort? That next job and the job after that and the job after that? Or maybe just apathy? This is just the way it's going to be forever. If Jesus doesn't fix your kids or your parents or your health, or your living situation, where do you go? Where do you turn? And do you recognize that we have reduced him to a vending machine? Jesus, if you don't feed me, I'm going to go find food somewhere else. Now, we all know what it feels like to be reduced to our utility, to be cared for as long as we are giving what we should be giving, reduced to nothing more than our output. We feel angry, We get sad, we feel empty, but Jesus' response here is different. He knows that they are only looking to be fed by Jesus, and instead of being mad, He offers more, offers a banquet. Do you want to be fed by Jesus, or do you want to feed on Jesus? My second point, feed on Jesus. This is the invitation in Jesus' teaching. He is helping them see that they need more than physical bread, that in fact their whole life is empty, not just their stomachs. Jesus is saying, I have not come just to address physical hunger. We know that He has. In the previous passage, He fed over 5,000 people. We know that physical needs are important to Jesus, but what He is saying here is that there is a bigger need. Jesus has come to address the damage 
which sin has done in the hearts and souls of every human being. There is a deeper need, a deeper hunger caused by our sin. And if all we needed was physical food, then we should go and find it from whomever we can get it from. We should work as hard as we need to in order to earn as much food as possible to satiate our hunger. But this deeper need, this deeper hunger cannot be filled by any bread, no matter how delicious it is. That hunger, that emptiness, it cannot be filled by anything in all of creation. Only God can meet that need. Only God. That's why Jesus corrects them in this conversation about manna and Moses, reminding them what was actually going on. Verse 32, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to Him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the bread of life. This is Jesus opening up the depth of His plan and the richness of the banquet that He is preparing for them. Bread fills our stomachs and gives us enough calories to survive for a little while, but Jesus The bread of life fills our souls and gives us life eternal, life everlasting. Jesus is saying, I have come to give you myself. Only Jesus can fill our empty souls and satiate our deepest hunger. But how? How do we have access to the bread of life? Well, the cry of the hungry heart is, where can I find the bread? What do I have to do to be fed? Or, as we have recorded for us in this passage, what must we do to be doing the works of God that we might be saved by this bread of life? Jesus answered them, verse 29, this is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He has sent. To receive the bread of life, we must believe. And that's not just intellectual assent, agreeing that Jesus is God, that He has come for us, but it means to be persuaded of, to have confidence in. When we welcome new members to grace, we ask them to take certain vows, and one of the vows is, do you now receive and rest upon Jesus alone? That's what it means to believe in Him, to start every thought every action, every emotion from the reality that because of my own sin and failure, I am empty, I am alone, and I am hopeless. But because God took on flesh and He lived the perfect life that you and I could not live, and He died the death that we deserve to die, and He rose again, I am God's child. You are secure now and forever that God looks on us with favor and delight, and no matter what goes wrong in life, no matter what you do wrong, you will always have a home. That's what feasting on Jesus, the bread of life, does. 
The question becomes, though, why would Jesus say, I am the bread of life? Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Didn't those people go home and have to eat dinner that night? Weren't they hungry and thirsty even as He was talking about this and opening their eyes to the reality of His own divinity and the gift of eternal life that He was? Yes, they did. But what Jesus is saying here is that He doesn't just bring an adjustment to life, but a completely new life. When you're fed by Jesus, it changes things a little bit. But when you feed on Jesus, it's a whole new thing all together. A life in which the eternal and the everlasting breaks in to your normal, everyday, stressed out, exhausted, output-based life. This new life is a life in which hunger and loneliness and stress and disappointment are all surpassed by the weight of God's glory, and they're adjusted by Jesus' death and resurrection. What does that look like? Well, it doesn't mean that you don't get hungry. It doesn't mean that emotions don't matter or events and experiences don't matter. It means, as Jesus is telling these people, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, you are able to see that it is God's blessing to you. He is blessing you with that meal, with that relationship, with that peace, with that rest, and you know that it is just the tip of the iceberg. Nicole likes to tell the story of how when we were engaged, we went cake tasting to prepare for our wedding reception, and it just so happens at that time uh, on Food Network that Cake Boss was a, a really popular TV show. At least it was popular to me, and so I showed up to the cake tasting ready to go. I knew all of the words. I knew all of the flavors, picking out this kind of frosting, that buttercream. We're going to do no fondant. We want these kinds of layers. We want all this kind of stuff. She thought it was hilarious. I had so many opinions about what kind of cake we were going to have, and to be honest, our cake was delicious. (laughs) But it would have been foolish for me to take that last bite at the tasting and say, done. That's our cake. I don't want any more of it. Because even though it was the same cake months later that we ate at our wedding reception, it tasted far better then. And to be honest, a year later, when we pulled the top tier out of our freezer and ate it on our one-year anniversary, that cake tasted better than it did at the wedding reception and way better than it did at the cake tasting. Feeding on Jesus grows in, grows in its complexity and its richness. As life comes at us, as we walk with Jesus through life, feeding on Him changes how we experience life. It's the same Jesus. It's the same death and resurrection, but it becomes deeper and sweeter and more valuable to us over time. The food that you eat, the clean water that you drink, the friends that you have, the experiences you get to experience, they are all markers, holy reminders of the eternal life that Jesus has secured for you, which is described in Scripture as a wedding feast, food, drink, celebration. 
And here's what that means. Everything that we do points us to Jesus. And here's the other thing. If you are hungry, if you are thirsty, stressed, restless, lonely, disappointed, it is a reminder that you need Jesus to bring you life the food and the drink and the peace and the happiness and success of the world that you might be chasing elsewhere. Maybe you find it, but it's going to fail. It's fleeting. It does not grow sweeter over time. It evades us. It becomes bitter. Jesus is the bread of life, the only one in whom our deepest hunger can be satisfied. Do you want Him to feed you, or do you want to feed on Jesus? The invitation is to come. Let's go. Pray with me. Oh God, we hear these words from Jesus. And like the Jews who hear them, sometimes they're confusing to us. It doesn't seem like enough for Jesus to just say, come and eat. It doesn't seem like He could possibly help us in our situations today. And so we ask that You would make these words real to us. Help us to hear the hunger that we have inside comes from our own sin, and help us to see that the banquet laid out for us comes from You and You alone, that the wedding feast of the Lamb is what You are preparing for us, and the only way for us to get there is through the death of the Lamb itself, through Jesus on the cross. We pray all of this in His mighty name. Amen.